Thanks, Rick. Good to be with you, Hope family. Oh, good, okay. Just for folks who are at home, they thought nobody was here for just a moment there. But uh, we are one church, two expressions, right? One is live for you folks in the room. It is great to be together with you. And for those of you who are watching online, it's great to be with you as well as we uh, close out this series that we're calling Homecoming. The last two weeks, if you have been tuned in, you know that I've been unpacking uh, the story of the prodigal son that I said last week ought to be called the prodigal father. If you missed that, you ought to check that one out. And uh, all of that was kind of focused on my personal, your personal connection to God. What we haven't looked at is the entirety of the chapter that that story is in. Luke 15 is where we find the story of the prodigal son, but it's the third of three stories that all share this in common. They're about lost things. So the first story is about a lost sheep. The second story is about a lost coin. And the third story is about two lost sons. And all three of these stories have three things in common. First of all, they talk about something very dear, very precious has been lost. Second thing they all share in common is that the owner goes to great lengths to try to retrieve that which is lost. And then the third thing they all share in common is that when they are found, the owner calls everybody together to help celebrate that the lost thing has now been found. Those three stories have their context in the opening of Luke chapter 15. In the first three verses of Luke 15, we see why Jesus told these three parables. So I want to look at uh, verses 1 through 3 of Luke chapter 15. It starts out by saying this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I want to pause there for a second. He welcomes sinners and he eats with them. They're not happy about what they're seeing. You see, as they look at this crowd of people surrounding Jesus, what they see are bad people. These are bad people, the wrong people, not the people that good religious people hang out with. These aren't people to be welcomed and share meals with. These are people who are to be condemned and avoided in their mindset. They have no place in the house of God. Here's how verse 3 goes then. Then Jesus told them this parable. And he tells the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost sons. All of these stories point out what Jesus is trying to say to these Pharisees, to the teachers of the law, to the people in the crowd, and to us here today. First of all, there are no bad people. 
There are lost people. There are no bad people. Second, lost people are not to be avoided. They're to be pursued. And thirdly, and when they come back to their heart's true home, all of heaven and all of us should be celebrating. I want to fast forward now. That story happened during Jesus' earthly ministry. I want to fast forward now. Jesus has been crucified, resurrected. He is about to ascend into heaven and he is meeting with his followers. And in this one verse that we're going to read together, Jesus does something really powerful. So it's from the book of Acts, it's chapter one and it's verse eight. And this is what it says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you and you will be my witnesses. Now wait right there. You will be my witnesses to whom? Who is it that we're witnessing to, Jesus? The lost. The lost. People who are looking to find some connection to the living God. People who are looking for their heart's true home. All right, let me pick that up again. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In this one powerful sentence, in this one verse, Jesus gives us a vision for what we're to do and a strategy for how we're to do it. We're to be his witnesses to lost people. That's our role as followers of Christ. And then he lays out the strategy and it's kind of concentric circles starting where we are and then going out and out and out in concentric circles that get ever bigger. So he begins by saying, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is that place that is most familiar. It's the place where you are. So for you, it may be include your family, your network of friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, those people that you are geographically closest to. And you are to be his witnesses in those relationships. Now, I know that is really uncomfortable for some folks. And you hear that and you think, all right, I'm, that's not me. I'm not a Bible guy or gal. I'm, I don't know theology and I'm kind of uncomfortable with all of this stuff. And, and I wanna give you four things that anybody can do. Any Christ follower can do these four things when it comes to bearing witness to your faith to your Jerusalem. The first thing that we can do is tell our story. You can tell your story of faith. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, when you became a Christian and, you know, all the way back to whenever that was. I'm talking about what God is doing in your life right now. Things that you are learning and experiencing right now with regard to your faith. 
And that can happen on a daily basis, you know? So you could today be saying to members of your family or your neighbors or friends and so forth, you know, I was at church and we were talking about the prodigal son. And Jeff said something that made me think of, you know, and you just begin to tell your story. You're not force-feeding anybody anything. You're not shoving something down their throat any more than if you watched a television show and were telling them what you saw on the TV show, right? You're just telling your story. The second thing that we can do is we can ask our friends, our family members, our neighbors, spiritual questions, right? So if you're a parent with young kids, One of the things that children often ask mom and dad at some point in their young lives, get ready if you haven't already been asked, young parents, where do we go when we die? Kids know that we died. Kids get that. They understand that. But where do we go? How do you answer that question? That's a great kind of question for folks to talk about who have young kids. When was the last time you felt in awe of something? Because that brings us, you know, into the presence, if you will, of the transcendent. So we can ask spiritual questions. Third, we can pray for our friends and family members and people who may not have a faith yet. You can pray for them. You should be praying for them. And you could even let them know, hey, you know, I pray for you periodically. You don't have to lie and say, I pray for you every day unless you do. You know, but don't just say it. I pray for you every day. Really, what did you pray for me on Thursday? <laughs> but you can also say, hey, I, I'd like to pray for you, you know. Is there something in particular that you would like me to pray for? And don't be surprised if the answer is, I'm good. <laughs> you know, like, God's got bigger things to worry about than me, so I'm good. Hey, that's fine, but just so you know, I I pray for you periodically, and and I want you to know that if there's ever anything that you want me to pray for, please let me know. It's another way of planting seeds, right? The fourth thing that you can do, anybody can do this, is invite. You can invite people to church. You can invite them to your small group. You can invite them to an event that's going on here. You can invite folks. You know, we did a survey at the end of the summer Many of you probably filled it out. We got over 230 responses last I checked. Um, And one of the questions that we asked in this survey was, would you be more likely to invite somebody to church in person or online? And I was a little surprised. You'll see the graphic up. I was a little surprised to see that almost 60% of you said, I would invite them to an in-person worship service 39% said online. And that's cool. I mean, I love the fact that if you're inviting, you want to invite them to an in-person service, that's great. Here's the problem we have right now. Most of our attendance, 60 to 65% of our attendance right now is online. So you're probably not going to invite somebody to go to a service that you're not actually going to. So I want to just encourage you, if you're worshiping online, invite your friends to join you online. It's so easy. 
when you think about it. All you need to do is send them a link, meethope.live, and let them know, hey, it's at 9 or 10.30. You can tune in on a Sunday morning, or we have the on-demand thing. You go to meethope.live anytime during the week, day or night, and you can watch the service. It's so easy to invite somebody. Here's another thing that I think would be great, and I hope somebody does this. And if you do this, I want to hear about the experience. You could invite your friends, family, neighbors, whoever it might be, to your house for a Sunday brunch with this kind of caveat. Hey, at 10.30, we're going to be watching our service, our church service, online. And we would love to have you come join us, and then we're going to have brunch right afterwards. Bring the kids and so on and so forth. If you do that, please let me know. But I think that's a great way to invite people to come. You know, this whole online thing is still a brand new thing. We're all trying to figure it out. How do we have vital relationships? How do we have uh, an ongoing ministry that happens online as well as in person? One of the things that we're going to be introducing in the next few weeks is a new platform that we're gonna be using for online. It will be seamless to you. You know, you'll still use meethope.live and so forth, but there'll be new features that will allow people to better connect um, with people here. In, in, uh, even though you're online, there'll be kind of neat ways to connect. So Pastor Rick uh, will be introducing that to us in the uh, coming weeks, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that. So I still think that the in-person gatherings are absolutely vital, that stuff happens when we are physically together that doesn't happen online. But online is here to stay, and it's opening up fantastic, fascinating new ways of reaching people in our Jerusalems. So then this concentric circle out after that, Jesus says, Judea, Jerusalem, then Judea. Judea are the regions around us. It's not our home base necessarily, but it's the towns, the communities around us. You'll be my witnesses in those places. And here at Hope Church, there's a number of ways that we express that. There are a number of our members who are involved in ministries in Camden, for example, through Urban Promise and Urban Mission Fellowship, to name a couple. And our church also supports those ministries financially. And so we're witnessing through those ministries to people in the city of Camden. Very cool. But perhaps right now, our most substantial, significant way that we are witnessing to this region is through our food pantry. We've been telling stories about the food pantry, right? You know that we are now serving over 400 families a month in our food pantry. I was recently told, in fact, last week I was told that we have now touched over 10,000 people this year so far through our food pantry. 10,000 people, right? And people are getting involved. People who are not members here are volunteering with our food pantry, volunteering to help with the uh, packing, and uh, volunteering by bringing food and so forth because they see the impact that this community of faith is having on our neighbors in this broader region. 
And what our volunteers there are doing is not just distributing food, but trying to express to these folks the love of Christ in ways that are real and tangible by offering to pray for folks and asking, you know, if there are other needs that they have that we can help with, and as we can, we do. And we're touching those folks' lives. The people who come to receive food are referred to as our patrons, right? So a f- not long ago, just, just fairly recently, I was privileged to baptize the child of one of our patrons. A young couple who have a small child and are on hard times financially right now and felt the love of Christ through this community of faith to the point that they said, we would love to have our son baptized. Would you be willing to do that? It's one of the ways that we are bearing witness to Christ to our region right here and happening right now. That's a powerful thing. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Samaria represents those people who are least like us and who we probably like the least, right? Jews and Samaritans could not stand each other. They were enemies, And Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to them. So who are the people in your life that fit that description? People least like you, who you like the least. For me, it's Boston Red Sox fans. (laughs) It's a joke. I'm kidding. They're fine people, I'm sure. For the Pharisees, it was tax collectors and sinners that Jesus was hanging out with and having meals with. Who is it for you? Who are your Samaritans? Democrats? Republicans? Anti-vaxxers? People with different skin color than you? Maybe members of your own family? Jesus gave us no pass on bearing witness to those folks. How do you do that, Two really practical things we can do to begin that process anyway. First, we can begin to really pray for them. Not only pray for them, but pray that God would soften our hearts and open our minds to who they are. Because while we think we understand them, perhaps, while we think we know what they're about, maybe not so much. And these days, we kind of are in our own little echo chambers where we're only listening to and hearing from people who agree with us. And so maybe if we begin to pray that God would open our minds to their point of view, to their perspective, It may not change who we are, but at least it helps us better understand them. And then we can look into sources that would help us to maybe hear their voice, not coming through someone who just agrees with us and is doing characterizations of who they are, 
but listen to them directly so that we're better able to understand them so when there's opportunities for us, we can bring our faith into that conversation. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the world. Wow. <laughs> you will be my witnesses to the whole world, Jesus said. So what's that mean for us as individuals? Probably not much. There's not a whole lot I as an individual can do for the whole world. This is why it's so important that we are together with other believers. You know, we're part of a denomination, the United Methodist Church, and through our connection through the United Methodist Church, we are helping to establish and maintain schools around the country, particularly in third world countries, schools and hospitals, universities and seminaries. We are helping to eradicate malaria in sub-Saharan uh, climates, bringing fresh water into villages that uh, struggle to drill down into uh, deep enough uh, to get wells of fresh water. There are people that you've never met living in villages that you've never heard of whose lives you've touched by supporting men and women who are serving in those places in the name of Jesus. That's a way that we get to connect and witness to the world is through the work that they're doing that we're supporting. In addition, we continue to support our friends in Haiti. You know that we have this connection and have since uh, the earthquake of 2010, we've been sending teams to Haiti, working at the house of Abraham with our good friend, Fennel Bruna. And uh, so we've been supporting that for, for years now. We haven't been able to go down since the pandemic. And now you know that things in Haiti are desperate. They had another earthquake and they got hit by uh, a hurricane. There's political unrest. You know what this congregation did this summer? You together raised $6,000 along with other churches that help raise funds. But that $6,000 represents 11% of what Fennell received and his town wasn't affected by the earthquake. But what he did was he pulled together fellow Haitians and with the resources that we supported, they went out to serve fellow Haitians in the name of Christ. And last week he just sent a little uh, update on what they've been doing. Let me just share real quickly some highlights of what, they're, what they've done with the finances that we've sent them. 1,500 families were served with two weeks of food and hygiene kits. A church was served by giving them temporary quarters. Five houses were rehabilitated. 50 families were served with, um, uh, served with what? Oh, emergency, uh, uh, 
emergency kits, you know, the, these uh, hygiene kits. Um, and they also brought uh, to hospitals and clinics uh, supplies that were needed for them. What his ongoing plan is, because many people are now in these tent villages, is to help rebuild homes so people can return uh, to a permanent home. And all of that is happening as they are praying for and bearing witness to Christ. Now, we've all been hearing, I think, or at least most of us probably have been hearing about the missionaries in Haiti that were kidnapped last week, 17, including five children, who are being held for ransom under the threat of death. Things are desperate in Haiti. So I know you've been praying, but I'd like for us to just take a moment right now and let's pray for that situation, shall we? So God, we do pray for um, Fennel and for all of those who are serving in your name in Haiti. But Lord, we also pray for those 17 faithful followers of yours who out of love for Christ and love for people went to Haiti to serve. God, give them strength, give them courage, protect them. Lord, bring them home. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people agreed and said, amen. So also, we have been involved in Cuba, as you know. Uh, we have established a great relationship with a pastor, Pastor Marine, and his Mahaim Church, and they are doing tremendous work in Cuba, bearing witness to Jesus on that island and, and uh, seeing new people coming to faith uh, all the time. But things have gotten really difficult in Cuba as well uh, because of COVID and uh, they're having trouble getting any kind of supplies. Um, so it's, you know, as the struggles that we have here are compounded many fold uh, there in Cuba. And because of your generosity, we're, we were able to raise a couple of thousand dollars and then uh, made a contact with a Cuban-American who traveled down there just this month. And uh, I just heard from Maureen that the money uh, has been received and what a huge blessing that is to those folks. All of these ways that we are bearing witness to Christ to the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the world. Well, you've heard it said, there's no place like home. Home is that place we've been saying that you feel the most accepted, you feel the most connected, you feel the most safe. It's the place that misses you when you're gone and celebrates when you return. And our heart's true home is when we are connected to God through a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So the question today is, is this your time to come home? If you have never invited Christ to be the leader of your life, the forgiver of your sin, it's time to come home. And if home, you found your heart's true home in Christ, we have this great vision to be his witnesses. Wherever we find ourselves, your Jerusalem, your Judea, 
Samaria, and the outermost parts of the world. Let's be his witnesses together.